This ESPN Chicago podcast is brought to you by Cover 5, the free-to-play sports game. This week, Cover 5 is giving you a shot at $50,000. How? Download the Cover 5 app or go to Cover5.com. Pick five games against the spread. And in week five, if you make the perfect five picks, you win $50,000. Cover5.com. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. This is... It's the final two-hour edition of White Sox Weekly here in the offseason. We're going up until four, and then we'll join the baseball game. That'll be the Mariners and Blue Jays. Although, I mean, it, it, the, this Cleveland Guardians and Tampa Bay Rays game may still be going on. They're top 12 and scoreless, but the Rays have runners on the corners here, so that could be fairly interesting. Uh, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Took, uh, taking a couple of phone calls here. Talked a lot about the manager in the first hour, um, about the job Tony La Russa did, about uh, obviously the circumstances around his stepping away. He seems to be in good health and on the road to recovery. That is a very good thing. Best health to Tony La Russa. The, the next manager has a job to do. I mean, it's, it's not going to be... Um, or at least it doesn't look now as, and I'm, I'm overstating this, and it's it's a little bit hyperbolic, but when Tony La Russa took this job, and he kind of mentioned it too uh, during this during his goodbye press conference, this was a turnkey gig. I mean, this was ready to go. It had made this postseason in 2020. Young players were getting better and hopefully healthier for the 2021 season. Uh, you had an AL MVP in Jose Abreu. I mean, this was this was a team ready to roll. The White Sox were not afraid of talking about that, about setting the expectations for a team that had that around them, that kind of feel, that kind of force field almost. I mean, it, it felt in 2021 that there was like nothing that Cleveland or Minnesota or Kansas, I guess maybe with the exception of Kansas City, because for whatever reason, they were like kryptonite to the 21 White Sox. There just wasn't anything that the division could do to shake them up. That thing was the White Sox from jump. 22 was obviously very different. The eight-game losing streak early against Cleveland, the the whole thing. I mean, it was just, this was a 500 ball club, and now this job is not as turnkey as it had been. To that end, though, and and where responsibility lies for a season of 500 baseball, Liam Hendricks had a couple of things to say about the next manager of the White Sox. He was asked, if memory serves, I, I think this is the exact question, um, how much will the next manager be able to fix what was wrong in 2022? Here's White Sox closer Liam Hendricks. Unless we fix what we have as a play group, kind of what we went through this year, doesn't matter who comes in, it won't fix itself. That needs to be some soul searching. There needs to be a lot of uh, going through and what we struggled at, what we succeeded at, what we can work on better, what we need to kind of take away from what we did. There's a lot of things that uh, we did this year that weren't very good. And there's a lot of things this year that we really need to kind of improve on. But the only way to look in on that is to kind of 
look in on yourself and realize what you struggle with. That for me, it was inherited runners. It was health as forefront at the very end of that. But it was I struggled with inherent runners. I struggled entire games. I struggled against the uh, our division. Um, that was some things that I really need to work on. Uh, there's a lot of positives I can take from this year, but I I always like to think on sit on the negatives and be like, okay, what can I do to get past those? And that was something that. Uh, those few things, I mean, the walks this year, I'll obviously uh, double my walk total from last year to this year, which isn't great. But there's a lot of things that we can work on as, a, as an individual, but unless you work on them individually, you're not going to get that cohesive kind of moment back as, uh, as a team when we get to spring training next year. So a couple of things, obviously, that Liam has mentioned there. The very last, get that cohesive thing back as we start next year, I mean, I I think he's referring to a handful of things. I think he's referring to that feel of 2021, that kind of force field that I'd talked about a little bit. And granted, that force field got punctured some in the second half of the season. You know, he talked about his own failings, you know, inherited runners, the walk total doubling. I mean, it went from 7 to 16, so it's not like he was walking the ballpark. But it did come up to bite him every now and again. The whip uh, was .732. That's walks and hits per innings pitched. In 2021, and it went up to 1.40 in 2022. Liam was far from you know the reason the White Sox stayed at 500 for the season. I do think, though, that at the very beginning of what Liam Hendricks was talking about, I think that goes to talk about a, a number of different things with the White Sox in 2022. I mean, he says it outright. That manager, whoever's next, whoever's next, That's not the fix. That's not the only fix this team needs. That's not the only change this team can afford, right? It's got to be more than that. Liam tells you that. And so that that speaks to, you know, where this team was at both mentally and physically, I think, during the course of the regular season. Injuries, no doubt, derailed the White Sox' ability to bring the best talent to the forefront for a while. Injuries are also far from the only reason this White Sox team is at 81 and 81 and that we're all sitting and watching playoff games today as opposed to watching the White Sox in a playoff game today. So I think when you have you know a response like that, you know, a guy pointing out his own failings, also pointing out some of the I mean, we'll, we'll hear more from Liam Hendricks as we go, but I, I think when you're able as a as a leader of that team, Liam, and as a high performer on that team, which I think you you kind of need to be both in order to be the best leader you can be. You, you do, I think, in baseball have to be performing while you're trying to lead. I think it is a, it's possible, but it is a difficult thing to do to be that kind of guy, that kind of clubhouse presence while you're struggling. I, I think that can be difficult. So... That's important that while he's saying these things, he had been that rock kind of at the back end of the White Sox bullpen, you know, 30, what is it, 37 saves this year, 38 saves last year, right at the top, even after throwing, you know, 20-something innings fewer because of an injury just up to the All-Star break, uh, the forearm, you know, kind of issue that popped up for Liam Hendricks. I, I think it matters that... He and, and other White Sox players, to be quite honest, have put a level of individual accountability this offseason on each and every player. I don't think that that necessarily means 
that everybody lacked something. I don't think that necessarily means that just one person um, was an issue in that clubhouse or, or wasn't bringing whatever it is that 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 cohesiveness that Liam talked about at the end there that that one guy failed to bring it. I, I think it's just kind of letting it go a little bit. And when everybody does, maybe to the same degree, maybe to a bigger degree, but when everybody lets go just a little bit, that collective loss gets felt in a very big way. But because you, let's say you're you know in that clubhouse, me, you, or whatever, because I've only let it go just a little, it doesn't feel like I've done that much. I'm there. I'm giving it, you know, it's 95, 85, whatever it is. I'm giving it quite a bit here. I'm really working at this. Well, Connor, is it the level you worked at last year? Well, no, but it's you know pretty darn close. We should be able to win with this. But everybody has kind of you know given that. I, I wonder if that's a little bit uh, to what Liam's talking about here. I wonder if that's just a little bit um, representative of perhaps what Liam and, and many others have said was just kind of missing this year. And even that, even that isn't the only thing that needs changing. We'll get to some more uh, cuts here from the last couple of days of the 2022 White Sox season. And I want to start with something that got said by Jose Abreu. In fact, I want to talk a lot about Jose Abreu here in the 3 o'clock hour. First, let's hear from Jose. And remember, you know, Jose often, uh, I think almost as a rule, speaks through White Sox interpreter Billy Russo. You heard him quite a bit on the White Sox radio network over the last couple of years. Billy does an amazing job. We thank him for the effort. So these are the words of Billy Russo. Well, pardon, this is the voice of Billy Russo, but the words of Jose Abreu. And he was asked to just kind of sum up his season on the whole. Frustrating. Very frustrating. You know, we didn't make the playoff. Uh, that was our goal. Then. You know, we didn't make it. It's, uh, it's very frustrating. What are some of the reasons why you think things kind of fell so short of what the expectations were for your guys? Health. You know, we weren't healthy. Um, you know, I mean, we as a player, we didn't do the things that we were supposed to do on the field uh, to do our job and to support Tony. Then, you know, that's, that's why. He was also asked about his pending free agency. You know, I have a... All about uh, respect about all of them, all my teammates. Uh, the first ones that were here when I first started to this group. This is a very special group. Uh, you know, I respect all of them. I love them. And, uh, you know, like I said I, I, before, you know, I'm a White Sox now. I'll be a White Sox tomorrow. Then what's going to happen after that, we'll see. Johnny Cueto said uh, last night that he, wanted, he thought he could play another two or three years. You've played at an elite level for close to two decades when you count Cuba in there, too. Do you have an idea of how long you want to play, or is it really a year-by-year thing for you? I'm still hungry about the game. You know, Once I lost that, then I know that it's time. But Could you imagine yourself playing for another organization? <laughs> like I said before, I'll be at White Sox until tomorrow. Two things he was asked. Well, I guess one thing specifically he was asked about his performance on the field this year. Obviously, you know, Abreu finished with a career low in home runs. He, you know, only once before has failed to hit uh, 20 home runs in a season. 
And that year was the year he won AL MVP in 2020. He hit 17 in 2020. Uh, pardon, 19 in 2020. And that was a 60-game season, so he won MVP. This year, 15 home runs. So Abreu was asked about, you know, it was kind of a, a down-power year. That I didn't hit homers. <laughs> I think that's, that's uh, one of my goals uh, to work on during the offseason, trying to increase the uh, you know, power to hit homers. So he kind of you know, brushed it off a little bit. And I think you know, there's a reason we're playing these. I, I think Abreu's attitude comes through here. He is, is kind of shrugging off some of the issues, internalizing them a little bit, and letting you know, well, yeah, this is this is what we're going to work on. It didn't work for us this year. Um, and and kind of, you know, in a way, not ready to look forward to what's next. And you can hear some of that yet again in what he said about White Sox fans and how grateful he's been for White Sox fans during his White Sox career. I want to thank them for all the support, for always uh, having my back. And, uh, you know, these were special night years. And I hope that can get more. Uh, but uh, until now, it's been very special. And I'm going to be forever grateful for them, with them. So you hear a little bit there. I mean, he did, the only hint that he gave about whether he's coming back and... You know, if there's been conversation, and it, it, it sounds like perhaps there hasn't, there's been reports about it, Abreu coming back to the White Sox in 2023, he does say, you know, I, I hope there's more for him and for White Sox fans. Now, to that end, you know, as we start to pivot forward and start to look ahead to what this 2023 version of the Chicago White Sox looks like, I got a couple questions for you, and most of them are about Jose Abreu. We've got more sound for you here before we're out of here as well. Uh, more from Liam Hendricks, more from Rick Hahn. Um, more from Tim Anderson as well. When we come back, you've got White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Sure, it's the next episode of White Sox Weekly, but the question that's been posed to you here on the show is who's going to be the next manager? I think it's a fair question to ask. I don't think anybody knows. 312-332-3776. That is out there for you. So is, we've had a lot of people call in, kind of give some names. Yeah, sure, we had the Ozzie Guillen call right off the bat. That's And that's fine, I get it, I understand it. Uh, but Ozzie's kind of taking himself out of that running, I think, as much as anything else. Um, but also, I mean, kind of heard the reports and kind of the idea. I don't think Ozzie's that guy. Uh, I think we're looking at other places instead. I went through a list in the last segment of the show. We're up till 4 o'clock today. We'll talk a little playoff baseball as well. Uh, but we're kind of focused now on what the next version of the White Sox look like. Kind of that on-the-field conversation. How can this roster be better? Where does it need to be better? And to that end, is Jose Abreu part of this roster in 2023? It's been a hell of a run for Jose Abreu as a White Sox. Won the MVP in 2020, broke in in 2014, Rookie of the Year. MVP finishes in one, two, three, four, five, six, six different seasons. At least a couple of votes. That's not bad, especially from the first base position where you got to be so good offensively in order to grab, you know, I, I think really any MVP votes. He's been a three-time All-Star, three-time Silver Slugger. I already told you about the Rookie of the Year and the MVP award. He's a proud owner of 303 doubles, 243 home runs, 863 RBI. He's been terrific. 
as a White Sox. He has been, I think, pretty clearly since his age 20 season, age 27 season, his rookie year, the cornerstone of, of this White Sox offense, I think. He's been the guy, whether that's runs driven in, whether that's power, whether that's on base percentage. You know, he's, he's given you a lot of those things. This year was far from a bad season for Jose Abreu, but it wasn't a typical Jose Abreu season either. OPS Plus is adjusted to players' ballparks. It's a adjusted stat that tells you over 100 just how much better percentage-wise this player's been than the rest of the league, than the average ball player offensively. Abreu's OPS Plus this year, 133. Certainly better than your average ball player. And I think you could, I mean, you really just take one look at Jose Abreu's game and go, oh, no, that man's better than the average ball player. But he's a free agent this year. He'll turn 36 in January, in fact. And there is a question of uh, on, on whether Abreu fits this White Sox team. Or maybe yet the better question is, how many first basemen can you have on a ball club? And I think it's a fair question to ask. I think a lot of people have taken a look at this roster and talked about it. Rick Hahn has certainly talked uh, about what that looks like. We'll hear from him in just a minute. But I think when you look at the number of guys that necessitate some time at either first base or DH, the, the list is growing, right? Abreu obviously plays one of those two positions. Andrew Vaughn was drafted as a first baseman and sure has played a lot of outfield and credit to him. We talked about this toward the top of the show. Credit to him for becoming as good an outfielder as you can be, but you can see the issues here. Gavin Sheets. Yasmani Grandal. Perhaps even Aloy Jimenez, depending on how the offseason goes for his knee. He ended the year as a DH only. He did not play in the outfield in the final, I, I think, month of the season after that last grab, you know, of the knee hamstring area, the, the thing he had surgery on. That's a good number of guys and only two spots to play them, really. Yes, Grandall will catch quite a bit, but when you look at the demands of catching, the age, the leg issues that he had over the season, there's going to be some DH jobs for Yasmani Grandall in 2023, and that just takes away the ability of putting anyone else in that DH spot, of course. So... Rick Hahn spoke on that Monday prior to the offseason and kind of we made a couple of different comments about where this White Sox roster, maybe not instead of where, how this White Sox roster may or may not be affected by Jose Abreu's coming free agency. Here's Rick Hahn. Look, he's been exemplary in terms of what you want a White Sox player to be for Ten years now, it's not nine years in a White Sox uniform. No matter what the future holds for him here or elsewhere, I don't think you're ever going to hear anyone with this organization say a bad word about Jose. Nothing but admiration and respect for the professionalism and the way he's carried himself both on the field and, and off. How it fits going forward, that remains to be seen come, come this offseason. Um, obviously, there's... Uh, only so many different ways that you can fit various players on the roster and uh, Jose returning would have a ripple effect on others but we'll just have to wait to see how things unfold and, and make those decisions accordingly. I, again, I, 
going back to the first part of your statement, yeah, I really don't want to talk about any players too much right now. Let them finish the season strong, and there'll be plenty of time in the offseason for further conversation. So there's a little bit there and a little bit not there, right? Uh, by virtue of talking during the season, that puts Han in a little bit of a bind as to what he can and can't say about players that are on his roster, players that aren't on his roster, players that are on other teams' rosters. or And there are no free agents, of course. Not that you necessarily talk about a specific free agent during the offseason either. I think this, though, when it comes to Han saying ripple effect uh, about Jose Abreu keeping Jose on the roster, I think pretty clearly the guy we're talking about most there is Andrew Vaughn, right? The guy was a top three. He was a third overall draft pick. He was the best college hitter in the draft, according to all the scouting reports. You have seen Andrew Vaughn work some really smart, impactful, meaningful at-bats in his first two seasons as a White Sox. You saw him basically skip the minor leagues by virtue of the pandemic season in 2020 and a high draft. You've seen this guy accomplish some pretty impressive things. He has also not really looked the same over the last two months of the season. Whether that's the wear and tear that being in the outfield brings to a guy that's not really built to play outfield and certainly hasn't spent his entire amateur and and minor league career building himself up to be an outfielder. How could he? That's not what he knew he was going to play. That We don't know that for sure. But when you talk about a ripple effect, about signing back Jose Abreu, as Rick Hahn did here, the guy that's obviously most affected by that is Andrew Vaughn, a guy that you draft at three overall, thinking that he then can be the guy that Abreu passes the torch to. Whether Abreu's handing that torch to Andrew Vaughn or whether it's just kind of being moved from one to the next, I guess that's kind of yet to be determined. Three questions about Abreu I kind of threw out at the beginning of the show. Will Abreu come back? Do you want him back? And does the best version of the 2023 roster have Abreu on it? You know, those are three different questions. And I I don't know the answer to does Jose Abreu want to come back to the White Sox in 2023? I knew that answer the last time Jose Abreu was a free agent. We all knew that answer the last time Jose Abreu was a free agent. The guy spent weeks, to his credit, telling everyone that would listen that I will re-sign myself to a contract to come back with this team. I want to finish out this rebuild. I want to play with these young players. I want to be you know, this guy in the clubhouse that, quite frankly, Abreu has been over the last three seasons, that this team will need. And they've needed him, both on and off the field. That hasn't been the conversation around Abreu's free agency this year. That it hasn't really been talked about a lot at all. I mean, it's it's kind of been on the periphery of discussions, but with the White Sox, you know, looking like the kind of a will they, won't they fight themselves back into the AL Central for the better part of the last two months of the season. I mean, not, you know, the last three weeks for sure. After that loss to Cleveland in night one of the three-game series, it was kind of done. But up until that point, they had a chance of getting themselves back into it. So that conversation, it was more around like, will they make the postseason, not what are you doing next year? And after they'd been kicked from the postseason, the conversation wasn't so much about you know Abreu. It was about what happened to this club. Why did this go the way it did? 
And that left us, I think, without some space to talk to Jose Abreu, about Jose Abreu, others, uh, about the Abreu situation, about the upcoming free agency, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of a weird place to be. And then I, I got to say, I understand what Miguel Cairo said about Abreu not wanting to be. I mean, this, these were her, his wishes, not playing on that final day, being able to sit down, take it in, look from the outside, you know, have that managerial perspective, so to speak. I understand that, if that's what Abreu wanted. It, it is odd, though, because that doesn't happen often. If a guy's playing his last game, usually we know he's playing his last game of the year. I'm not talking about his last game as a White Sox. Obviously, nobody knows that at this point. I'm saying going into that second-to-last game, somebody knew, Jose knew, Miguel knew that this was going to be his last game of the year and what that might imply going forward. But I don't think we got a chance to know that. And the guy definitely deserves the hat tip of all hat tips. I mean, he's that guy for this era of White Sox baseball. And I certainly hope, and Abreu talked about it a little bit, that there's another go-around, that there's another chance for Abreu to kind of you know tip that cap for White Sox fans to, to go crazy and let him know how much they appreciated his work. In, their, in this uniform for the last nine seasons. More, more sound from the last couple of days of the season when we come back. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. It is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Taking it up until 4 o'clock, we will join the Mariners and Blue Jays in progress. M's won that first game. Seattle's first time in the playoffs in 21 years. I mean, I barely remember them being in the playoffs in 2001. Okay, so I remember it pretty well, but I didn't want to say it. Guardians and Rays still scoreless. Bottom 13 now. The 16th pitcher combined has just entered the game. Uh, Cleveland's got a man on. This has just been a whole. It's been a whole thing, is what it's been. Oh, Corey Kluber just came in for the Rays. That's who that is. So it's been a wild one there. Uh, Cleveland's up one game. Mariners up a game. The uh, Padres blitzed the Mets last night. They hit four home runs off Max Scherzer, who looked like he wanted to detonate while he was on the mound. Big time Mets game. I mean, just a uh, very Mets last night. So Mets, lol Mets. That's what it was. And I, you know, I'm not an LOL Mets guy. Like, I don't, you know, I don't take necessarily joy in the failure of others. I don't need the schadenfreude of Mets failure. But when it does exist, it is kind of funny. Phillies beat the Cardinals 6-3. to three, So those are, your, those are your wild card rounds. They're three-game series this year, remember. Uh, the White Sox want to be in the playoffs next year. No doubt about it. This is the window resulting in the rebuild from 16 and 17. This is... You know, the team that they want to take to the playoffs yet again and, and hopefully have parades, of course. So Rick Hahn spoke Monday before the season ended and threw a couple of different things out about where this team may be headed in 2023. Uh, aside from the manager, which we talked quite a bit about here in the first hour and a half of the show. Um, but here is Rick Hahn talking about very specifically focuses for 2023. We know that our offense got away from the offense that we had the last couple of years, uh, which caused some difficulties for us. 
Obviously, defensively, we weren't quite the club that we are capable of being or that we want to be going forward. Uh, similar to other clubs, we had issues with availability and health. Uh, unlike our club in 21, uh, as well as some other clubs this year, we weren't able to overcome that with our depth this year in 22. Uh, so certainly those are all going to be areas that we look at in the coming weeks and areas that we intend to get better for better by uh, opening day of 23. Rick also talked a little bit, and we're going to go back through that cut in just a second, but the other one that I think kind of, I don't know, pairs well with it, like a wine and cheese, whether he expects major roster overhaul from this year to next. The short answer is, obviously, there's areas we need to improve. The longer answer is, I, I don't think we should lose sight of the fact of where this team was one and two years ago, and even six months ago. You know, two years ago, we were after the first berth into the playoffs. We were a young, dynamic, exciting team that played with an edge and that people knew was coming for them. Uh, last year, despite the injuries, we managed to you know win 90 plus games and, and get our way you know clear of the division by 12, 13 games in the end. Uh, six months ago, just about every objective measurement and much less the you know subjective predictions had us as running away with this division. Obviously, what happened over the past six months is the most relevant and recent information, which exposed some areas that we simply need to get better. But I don't want to lose sight of the talent that is in that room. Uh, obviously, being without certain players for an extended period of time this year hurt us. Uh, it would be easy to stand up here and, and blame just the injuries and say we're going to be healthier and smarter and luckier next year, which could be a path to success. But I think by nature, each of us you know, involved in baseball operations and ownership and in the dugout and in the coaching staff want to somehow find ways to improve this thing, not just by projecting better health and better luck. So that's White Sox general manager Rick Hahn. More from him in just a second. But I think there's a couple of things that, that, that are worth pointing out in what he's just talked about. One is this. It is clear now that the White Sox, as a defensive ball club, aren't great. The way they were in 2021, the way they were constructed in 2022, they weren't a great defensive ball club. We've talked about a lot of the deficiencies, uh, whether it's hitting cutoff men, whether it's running the bases, which isn't necessarily defensive, but I think the two can sometimes be linked. Corner outfield defense, uh, not having Luis Robert for a long time during the season, uh, not having your first string shortstop, and your starting shortstop having a real tough run of baseball early on the the error streak he went that Tim Anderson went on during that you know first eight game losing streak was was really rough and cost a lot of runs it wasn't a good hasn't been a good defensive ball club it is also really clear that the White Sox as a front office as they constructed this roster by virtue of players that they picked up in international signing like uh, Luis Robert and Jose Abreu guys that they drafted guys that they traded for you know the way that this team ended up was as a team that wasn't going to be really good defensively, but should absolutely have hit over their issues. They should have slugged the ball so hard, like they did last year, that it shouldn't have mattered as much as it did. And then they didn't slug. They didn't hit home runs. They didn't walk. So when the home runs they did hit, there weren't enough guys on base. 
They hit a lot of singles this year. The White Sox led baseball in singles. And that's not inherently a terrible thing, but when it is the calling card of the offense, you very clearly see how that leads other areas of your game, offensively and defensively, to really have to produce. And the White Sox were not as good defensively as they needed to be considering how many singles and just singles they hit. That all is evident now. And I think what Rick Hahn is clearly talking about is this idea that they should have outhit their mistakes defensively. They should have outslugged their issues. They didn't. Not in 22. What he also kind of stated there, I think, I'm reading between the lines just a little bit here, but I think Rick is out front with the things he believes to be true. Uh, in, in a lot of his press conferences, there's, there's a lot of, you know, like he's not going to talk about guys under contract. He's not going to talk about, you know, concrete plans for 2023 while the season's still going on. I get that. That's just kind of general managership, right? But I also think he kind of clearly told you, we really thought this was going to work, right? I mean, isn't, isn't that kind of the thrust? Isn't that kind of the, the end all of, of Rick's statements there? And isn't that what we all kind of thought? This should have worked. Whether it's the projection systems, zips, and all this other kind of stuff coming into the year, whether it was Jeff Passan on these airwaves saying that he thought the White Sox were going to win the World Series, whether it was each and every publication, the books, you know, sports books, uh, me, Yakin, Lennon, Deed, like everybody thought that this team was absolutely good enough, like at a bare minimum, good enough to win the division, and it didn't. So I think in those two cuts, you've got two things here that Rick's pretty clearly saying. One, we should have outslugged our mistakes. We didn't. Two, we all really thought this was going to work. And I guess running it back isn't on the table. Rickon kind of pulled it off the table there because just expecting to not be hurt, expecting to be more available, expecting injuries to not play a bigger role, it might give us that team again in 2023. But doing just that, relying on only that, is not a course of action. I'm glad that that's out there. I'm glad that that is kind of stated in evidence by Han in that in his his kind of season ending press conference. Now, one of the things got asked here and that that I want to play for you. And it was about having baseball players on a baseball team. Now, I I kind of take a, a little bit of uh, I, I bristle at this idea just a little bit, right? Oh, you got to get more baseball players on a baseball team. Yeah, but, but everyone's playing baseball is a baseball player. How good they are at certain things, how much they need. Like I, I, what we're talking about here, I think more specifically is super high baseball IQ guys. You saw Elvis Andrews kind of be that guy for the most part. Two base running mistakes that were, you know, real rough, and one of them mattered quite a bit because the White Sox were still in it at that point, and the other one was just a bad base running mistake, and the White Sox were very much out of it. Um, but you have, you know, your high baseball IQ guys. You know, guys that are looking to backpick from behind home plate, know when to do it. Guys that are, you know, kind of crafty base runners. Guys that understand that, you know, if you look off a runner here and check back, you've got a chance to get the, the lead runner at third. That kind of stuff, right? That kind of stuff. 
So Rick was asked if having, I can't remember if the question was posed, do you have enough baseball players or, or if it was, um, you know, is it an IQ issue on this team? Can you be better that way? Can you shore up some of the defensive issues by being, you know, just kind of smarter than the other team? Rick answered that question this way. Uh, there wasn't enough of a lot of things this year. Uh, again, a year ago with more or less a similar roster, we had enough. Speaking about Elvis specifically, he's been fantastic. And he's brought that sort of baseball player edge or grind or fundamentally soundness that has stood out because it has been missing over the course of this season. Doesn't mean that a healthy Tim Anderson or when Louie's out there for a full season and healthy and without restriction that he can't be that type of guy himself. But it was an attribute that was missing at times this year. We've seen it from these guys in the past, but it I think it's fair, whatever criticism you're alluding to, I think it's a fair one that it was absent at times this year. I, I think it was no more evident that some of that was absent in their series, plural, uh, against the Cleveland Guardians. Because that is a team that, despite its lack of power, and despite its offense looking on the whole, like when you zoom out from 10,000 feet, from 30,000 feet, or what have you, and you look at just the overall numbers that the and this is where this is where numbers just as looking at the the sabermetrics of the thing on the whole can lead you down the wrong path when you look at just the batted balls in play the slugging percentages the home runs the all that kind of stuff the white Sox offense and the guardians offense in 2022 look remarkably similar just with the net output the number of runs that kind of it they look really similar But what the Guardians offensively did so differently than the White Sox in 2022 is they ran their butts off. I mean, they were going first to third. Every ground ball hit was a dead sprint to first base. They were trying to take the extra 90 on every ball that was shot past an infielder and had to be run down in the gap by an outfielder. They wanted that extra 90 feet. It was a team that was built to be able to do it with a whole lot of overall speed. And more than anything else, what it did was pretty clearly put pressure on a White Sox defense that wasn't able to stop it. You can make up for, in short series, like the White Sox and Guardians, but, you know, three games at a time for the most part, a couple of four games, five games, that kind of thing. Uh, But in a short series, you can put that kind of pressure on a ball club. And I would imagine that it's kind of what the Guardians are looking to do to the Rays, even though the Rays are a pretty decent defensive club. All things considered, that's the way they want to score. That can go dry in a short series, too. But it was pretty clear that their their specialty, you know, what the Guardians did best, matched up really well against the White Sox deficiencies defensively. So when you think about, you know, winning a division, right, and you look at the White Sox record in, in games against divisional opponents, you start to go, well... This wasn't a great ball club against their own. You know, this, they, they did not perform the way they needed to, and certainly the way they did in 2022, uh, 2021, rather, against their own division. Here's the record against divisional opponents, right? Against the Guardians, they were 7 and 12. Against the Tigers, they were 12 and 7. That makes sense. The Tigers were very bad. Against the Kansas City Royals, they were 9-10. and 10. Against the Minnesota Twins, they were 9-10. and 10. There was only one team 
from whom the White Sox took the season series, and that was the Detroit Tigers. It's got to be better than that in 23. And it needs to be better than that because by matching up a little bit better, I think, against some of those divisional opponents, then you can't construct a roster just to take down that one opponent just to match up like that. And next year, remember, there won't be 19 games against each of the divisional opponents. That gets cut down to 13 because we're changing the schedule some. And I think that's a very good thing. But it's not like back in the day where you go, okay, we got Bonds in the division, so we better find that lefty that has that one. We got to find Ray King, right? You got to have Ray King go up against Barry Bonds, that kind of thing. You, you can't necessarily just game it that way. But you can think about it a little bit. You can alter it some. And you can kind of let it inform future decisions. A little bit left to go here on White Sox Weekly. We're going to take a break. Open it up for more phone calls. 312-332-3776. Nick and Charlie are going to talk a little playoffs on the other side as well. And I will give you, just for funsies, the odds on the next White Sox manager. They're fun. We're going to laugh. All of us. Together. White Sox Weekly. ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight, wrapping things up for the afternoon. It's our final two-hour show of 2022. We'll go to one hour next Saturday from 2 p.m. until 3 p.m. All the White Sox talk you can handle here in this offseason. And hey, like the big voice folks said, you can download each and every episode on the ESPN Chicago app. Just go download the app and press the White Sox Weekly tab and download all the shows. We're going to have a lot of interviews uh, during the course of the offseason. Talk to people who matter. Talk to people inside the White Sox organization. One of my favorite interviews that we do uh, every year is talking to Chris Getz, Director of Player Development, Assistant uh, General Manager, about the prospects that ended up at the Fall League, at the Arizona Fall League for the White Sox, and just kind of about the state of the White Sox system as well. Chris is always really um, generous with his time in that particular interview, and, and we'll get real in-depth on some White Sox minor leaguers. I I love that part of the game. That's always kind of you know been a fascination of mine. I think everybody likes prospects and kind of the development aspect. Certainly, there are a couple of prospects in this Sox system in Colson Montgomery and Oscar Colas and, and others to be sure. Uh, but those two specifically who had really good years and have gotten themselves onto the top 100 list. So speaking of lists, I am going to be aided by our producers, Nick Magdala. And Charlie Bevins here. Guys, let's just go through. I'm gonna give you uh <clears throat> I'm gonna give you the the odds that I've got for these fellas for White Sox manager. And you just tell me if you'd be making a bet on this particular person and how much, right? Let's say you got like a hundred dollar bankroll, right? You got a you got a bill. How much are you putting on? I've got you uh, Ozzie Guillen at plus 500. Either of you wagering on Ozzie Guillen at plus 500? I'm not. No, okay. No. I will. Oh, all right. I will because it's, it's plus 500. It's Ozzie. I, I, and I wouldn't put it past them to go with like, not like a fan favorite, but this is the craziest I think I would go with like a celebrity pick. Like, is, we're talking about celebrity be. picks. It's the craziest I'll go with. I saw some crazier names, but like Ozzie, just because he's around all the time in town, I'll just go with that one. Bruce Bochy at plus 600. You putting a spot on Bruce Bochy? Three-time World Series winner, Bruce Bochy. Four-time World Series participant, swept by the Yankees in 1998 as Padres manager. Everybody was going to be swept by the Yankees in 98. That ain't Bruce's fault. 
Yeah, I could Bochi. I li- like. I like Bochi at plus six hundred more than I would take Ozzy at plus five hundred. Sure, just because sure. the guy. He's just a, he's just a winner, you know. I know yeah, it's it's corny, but like he wins. The guy knows how to he knows how to press the right buttons. I feel does. like I feel like Boshi, and I feel like uh, one other name that I've heard, Joe Man, that's just not going to happen. It sounds right. really nice. On, right. It sounds really nice, but I I can't convince myself. How about uh, Matt Quattraro at plus eight hundred? He is the Rays bench coach. I mean, he's working right now. The Rays and Guardians are the first game ever to go thirteen scoreless innings in a playoff game. They are now top fifteen. And goose egged, like Matt Quattaro. Yeah, I always, I always kind of Quattaro. find myself drawn more toward the bench coaches mm. than I am like the former man. It's the same thing when You're it like comes to like a bench to, coach. Yeah, well, it's it's You're kind like a of bench coach. it's it's yeah, a guy who's probably kind of on the upswing. You want uh, you want seasoned, grizzled, but not necessarily a veteran. It sounds like Charlie. A little bit. It's kind of like why I like the Eberflus hiring because he's been around the NFL for so long, oh, but the never got the yeah. It is. It does kind of have an Eberflus vibe to it. I know he was being interviewed by the Mets yep, at a certain right. point, so I kind of like the fact that other people kind of have the pulse on this one. But yeah, Quattraro's <laughs> been in the uh, Quattraro's been in the interview rooms. But yeah, yeah. So for that reason alone, I yeah. think it sounds like a, a, a like a logical pick. I'll, I'll put some money on that. Here's one I like quite a bit. Here's here's where I might be if if I were, but I won't. George Lombard at plus one thousand. He's the Detroit Tigers bench coach like george lombard long history in this game real knowledgeable comes with a really great reputation george lombard i'll I'll speak for you willie harris is at plus 1600 guys got a guy's got one of the best plays if not the best play in white Sox franchise history to his resume willie harris yeah of the logical picks i like willie harris i think like for that one right there i'd put my money on i put a good amount of money on it okay i like it yeah I, i I, I, yeah, I would say like that would probably be like second or third on my list. Miguel Cairo's plus twelve hundred. That Managed man loves the White Sox to a he, winning record. He really loves that team. Man. He does. Like you, like he does. In his at the end, like he was very emotional talking about. I, it. I'll tell you this: in talking with Miguel, I, and this isn't a, a comment on anyone else. It's only about Miguel. His give a hmm is high. Like there is like that man. There, there is a very high quotient of give a hmm. There's players that rally around certain personalities, and I feel like the players started to kind of rally around this guy yeah, late. And for I that reason, right. I definitely like him in that position, too. I think you're right. So those are some of the numbers on White Sox manager. That's Charlie. That's Nick. They're going to be on White Sox Weekly quite a bit in this offseason as well. Uh, this Rays and Guardians game is probably going to go till our next show. That's Saturday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We're on from 2 until 3. We will, if you're listening here on ESPN 1000, be uh, joining the Mariners and Blue Jays game in progress. Thanks so much for listening. Huge thank you to White Sox uh, executive producer of White Sox baseball, Eric Ostrowski. He put together all the sound that you heard on this show this afternoon. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next Saturday, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m., right here on ESPN 1000.